Our morning passage is from John 1, verses 9 through 17. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we come to this text and this important paradox of grace and truth, and we ask you to open our minds and our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us by your holy word. We live in a culture that needs truth and a culture that needs grace, and you have called us to be that kind of people. And so I pray that you would help us today to know what you are calling us to do. Help us to know how we ought to adjust, how we ought to balance these two things out in our lives. And we look forward to what you're going to say today to us about how we talk. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question for you this morning, and it's this. Which do you think our culture needs more of? Grace or truth? Don't answer it. How about in your life? Of the two, grace and truth, which today uh, do you need more of? Grace or truth? The, The challenge with grace or truth is that the reality is you need both and our culture needs both. And in fact, that's what we're going to talk about today is this uh, tension that exists between these two words, two concepts of grace and truth, and how it really relates to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That essentially Christianity requires both grace and truth. There's a little book by Randy Elkhorn called The Grace and Truth Paradox. I commend it to you as a really helpful book. It's helpful in the fact you can read it about in about an hour, about two hours. But it's, it's a power-packed little book because in that book he identifies this, this challenge and this call that followers of Jesus have to carry as a mantle, and that is this notion of balancing grace and truth. Here's what he says. People had only to look at Jesus to see what God is like. People today should only have to look at us to see what Jesus is like. For better or worse, they'll draw conclusions about Christ from what they see in us. If we fail the grace test, we fail to be Christ-like. If we fail the truth test, we fail to be Christ-like. If we pass both tests, we're like Jesus. A grace-starved, truth-starved world needs to see Jesus full of grace and truth. And so where do people see that? 
Well, obviously they see it in the followers of Jesus. Elkhorn goes on and he says this, So what does this hungry world see when it looks at us? And for our purposes this morning, let me adjust that just a little bit and say it this way. What does this hungry word world hear when it listens to us? In other words, when we talk about how we talk, we, we really are talking about what's going on inside of the soul. We're, we're talking about fundamentally who we really are. And the question that we're going to wrestle with today is this notion of what comes out of your mouth? Grace, truth, or grace and truth? So this is um, week four of five. Next week we'll wrap up our little series on the tongue and how we talk by looking at the subject of encouragement. And we've seen a lot during the last uh, number of weeks. We've we've looked at how important the issue of the tongue is. We've seen how um, how we're supposed to talk to and about others. And then and then last week we talked about the subject of of boasting, and we learned some remarkable things. From the book of James, we learn that boasting can be simply the absence of God in our talk about ourselves, our future, or our plans. That we say tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such a city and buy and trade and sell. And yet, um, James says, um, your life's a vapor, it's a mist. And to boast this way, it's arrogant. So, so boasting can simply be talking about your life and then forgetting God. Remember, humility is self-forgetfulness, but in this respect, uh, boasting is God-forgetfulness. Then, then we also saw that the gospel helps us greatly because boasting is excluded by virtue of it. Meaning that the gospel reminds us that, that we have received everything. Remember that text we looked at last week of, what do you have that you didn't receive? And the answer is nothing. Everything you have, you have received. Everything. You got up this morning, God gave you grace, you, you, you woke up, you're alive, at least hopefully, and you're, you're, you're here, your brain is firing, you, you, you had coffee, you had breakfast, you had, your kids woke up, they said hi. I mean, it was, I mean, you got here at the church on time, hopefully, and you're here, right? I mean, you're, and, and that's all grace. It's all grace. And everything you have, you've received. So, the gospel relates to all of this in that everything we have in life is a gift from God. And it relates to how we talk. So, our words are enormously important. The challenge is that it's really easy for us to slip into a pattern where sinful habits or ways that we talk and how we talk with our tones... Although we know they're wrong, we just keep doing them. And then we see how amazingly relevant the gospel is to all of us. It humbles us, reminds us how much we need to change, and then gives us the power and the ability to do so. Now today we're going to take the next step, which is looking at this paradox of grace and truth, this Christ-like paradox. So a a paradox are two words that could seem to be self um, contradictory or even kind of absurd when they're put together, but they actually communicate a very powerful and significant truth. A paradox is two words that don't seem to really go together, but when you put them together, they, they really have some incredibly powerful meaning and significance. 
The paradox we're going to talk about today is the paradox of grace and truth. And this is a really important concept for the followers of Jesus to get into their minds and their hearts and, and the tone of how they talk. And then the reason is, is that when you are able to balance grace and truth, when you can find this sweet Christ-like uh, spot of how it is that you balance these two realities, you, you can be used for great God-glorifying good. You can bring healing, you can bring change, you can bring hope, you can bring spiritual growth, you can bring harmony. But on the other hand, if, you, if you're overly imbalanced in any one area, there's great problems. For instance, someone who is overly gracious can diminish the value and the importance of what is right and what's wrong. An overly truthful person, you, you've all seen this happen, can be like a bull in a china shop leaving relational body bags everywhere. An overly gracious person, to borrow from Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, can be a peace faker. You ever had one of these in your life? Oh, we all just love each other. And you're like, there's big problems here, right? And it's, it's, oh, we just all get along. And you're like, remember last Christmas? Remember that? So, you know, he's the peace faker. And you're just like, what planet does she live on, right? I don't know what world she was in. That was not, that's the party I was at, right? That's not the gathering I was at. So a peace faker, overly gracious. Or you could have somebody who's a peace breaker, who's just all about the truth. I just told him like I saw it. Yeah, that ended everything, right? That was just awful. And so there's, there's balance that we need to achieve on either side of the equation. And so this, this, this paradox is really important. Important not only because it's dangerous on either side, but also because Jesus is the full embodiment of these vital truths. In other words, if you've given your heart and life to Christ and you are a person who claims to be a follower of His, this, this is what Jesus is like and therefore this is what we are called to be like. And there is no greater example of this anywhere than Jesus himself. In fact, you can't really even understand grace and truth unless you really understand who and what Jesus is. So when John writes his gospel, his aim is to lay before people what Jesus is like for the purpose of having them believe in him that they could have life. So John's end game in this gospel, to set the broader context, is show people what Jesus is like so they can believe in him so that they can know how they can really live. Listen, in fact, to uh, John 20 and verse 30. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs uh, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's John's endgame. Who Jesus is, believe in him, have life. He begins this gospel by presenting to us various characteristics of this Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So in other words, Jesus is self-existent. He always was. He also, John tells us, Jesus is the creator in verse 3. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Third, he's the life giver. John 1, 4. In him was life and the light. And the life was the light of men. And then further, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became human. So not only is he self-existent, he's the creator, he's life giver. He also becomes human. And then also, he's the display of God's glory. This is really important. He says, we have seen his glory. This is John 1.14. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. 
So again, he's self-existent, he's creator, he's life giver, he's human, and he's the display of God's glory. But we're not even at the top, we're not at the summit yet of what John says. All of this is building up. So Jesus is the full display of God's glory. This self-existing, universe-creating, life-giving, human-form-taking man displays something. And what does he display in the glory of God? Answer, verse 14. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the summit of the display of the glory of God in the world through the person of Jesus Christ is this beautiful, paradoxical combination of grace and truth. To be full of grace and truth is to be the full revelation of what God is like to men and women. It's the essence of what God is through Jesus. And further, from this display, this fullness of grace and truth, we then have received everything that we have. Look at verse 16. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Meaning, everything that you've received from Jesus is a byproduct of the full display of His glory, which is best captured in these two words, full of grace and truth. And if you think about it, all over the Gospels, we see Jesus acting this way. And talking this way. In fact, think of, for instance, um, John 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well and deals candidly with her that the man that she's living with now is not her husband, and yet he's very gracious with her. Think, of, for instance, in John 8, when the woman caught in adultery is um, brought before Jesus and he protects her from the self-righteous Pharisees. He says, you who have no sin, throw the first stone. And then when they walk away ashamed, she, he says to her, Go and sin no more. So we have graciousness, but also truthfulness. So throughout the Gospels, we see this beautiful combination of what Jesus says and what he does. And he's a a beautiful example of this balance between grace and truth. So if Jesus is the essence of grace and truth, then the followers of his should also embrace this notion of grace and truth. But that presents a problem. And the problem is that this grace and truth paradox is something you must do if you're a follower of his, but something you cannot do. St. Augustine put it this way. Command what you will, but will what you command. In other words, God, tell me what to do, but empower me to do it. And so in this Christ-likeness embodiment of being full of grace and truth, God invites us to really come back to himself and to be broken over the importance of this, but also to acknowledge this is really hard. In fact, I think the older you get, the more you realize how hard this really is. Because life is nuanced and there's various things that you have a background now to understand life. You've seen people get hurt. You, you've seen all of the issues. And so you, you see the importance of, of not just grace and not just truth, but you know both. You, you've seen what happens when people are overly gracious and people take way too much advantage of it. But you've also seen what happens with a truth teller who gets on steroids, just tells everybody what he thinks. And he's alone all by himself telling himself what he thinks. So it's just, it's just awful of this environment, of, of this imbalance of, of what life can be. So this is, hear me, a lifelong struggle in, in becoming like Jesus. And and my call to you today, just from the very outset, is this. I want you to engage in this and realize that this is difficult and challenging. This is going to be hard. 
But the fact of the matter is, it's, it's worth the struggle. It's worth the, the leaning in that God, by His Spirit, by His Word, and even in the context of the community of faith, you together were able to lean into this notion of how we balance grace and truth and make this work in our lives. So grace and truth is really important. Let me summarize this with three things. This First, friends, nothing is more like Jesus than when you balance grace and truth. If grace and truth is the sum total, the summary, if you will, of what Jesus is like according to John, then when you balance grace and truth, when you nail it with God's help, there are a few days that you look more like Jesus. When as a mom or a dad you balance it with your kids, you're gracious but truthful, you are nailing it when it comes to being like Jesus. Yet at the same time we have to acknowledge that nothing is more impossible without Jesus than balancing grace and truth. I mean, as we'll see at the end, in order to really do this, you've got to really know what Jesus is like. Because there's going to be a struggle to know, what, what do I say here? Do I, do I use gracious words or do I use truthful words? And then here's the other thing, friends, and that is this, nothing is more needed in our culture. Oh, my word, if we could get this, if we could be the kind of people that were not only truth-tellers but also gracious truth-tellers, who were not only truth-tellers but, but were the kind of people who really captured it in the right kind of tones and words, that you spoke the truth but you did it in a way that represented Jesus well, can you imagine the attraction of what the world would have to what's going on inside of our hearts to say, my goodness, you people are different. So nothing is more like Jesus, nothing is more impossible without Jesus, nothing is more needed in our culture. The paradox of grace and truth, this is the essence of what Jesus is like, and I would argue it probably shows up more than any other area in our life with how we talk. Balancing grace and truth is not just about actions, it is most evident in how we talk and the way we talk. So let's dial into this. What then is gracious Words. What, 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 what are, what are gracious words? Well, first we need to start with, um, what the word grace actually means. In the Greek, it's the, the word charis or charis. As you can imagine, the word is used, this word grace is used all over the New Testament. In fact, Paul, it's one of his favorite words, 156 times throughout the Bible, most often used by Paul. And I don't want to oversimplify this definition, but you could think of, um, grace as bestowing favor. You could think of it as granting kindness, or perhaps the giving of mercy. Some have defined it, maybe you remember this growing it up, growing up as um, God's riches at, what, Christ's expense. Remember that? That's not a bad definition, or maybe this was one that you heard before, unmerited favor. So what, what grace is about, and what it tries to capture, is the essence of God's amazing kindness to sinful human beings by saving them in the person of Jesus Christ apart from their worth or what they could do. The word captures the the heart of a God who is loving and kind. And yet here's the thing, it's more than just a one-time act, it's that all throughout your life you continue to receive God's grace. So there's a sense that there's an initial receiving of His grace when you acknowledge your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but then for the rest of your life you're continually receiving God's grace, really striving in order to do His will. Striving for his glory. So another way you could define God's grace is the desire and the ability to do God's will. So if you woke up this morning and you're like, I can't wait to get to church, just so you know, that didn't come from you. I mean, it was up to you, you'd still be in bed. I mean, let's be honest. When you got up, 
the desire to be here, that's something that God birthed within you. That, that, that desire, that's an, an unnatural desire. What's natural is to want to go golfing this morning. What's natural is to want to eat some eggs and toast and sit and drink your coffee and read the newspaper. That's what's natural. What's unnatural is to wake up and go, I know, let's get changed and go and sit and listen to someone talk for 45 minutes and sing some songs together. That's not natural. God, by His Spirit, does that in you, this desire to do God's will. When your husband or wife is being um, a little self-centered and you give in and you think of them as more important than yourself, that's not natural. It's great, it's wonderful, but it's something that God, by His Spirit, does in you. So grace is the desire and the ability to do God's will. So grace is not only how people are saved, it is also the means by which they grow in Christ-likeness. That means that all throughout your life, once you receive Christ, you are continually treated with amazing kindness. So think of grace this way. Grace then could be being treated far better than we deserve. Now this is the starting point of how we talk. By just realizing that we are people who have been unbelievably taken captive by God's grace. That we have been unbelievably treated far better than we deserve. And this then changes what comes out of our mouths. At a minimum, friends, it has to change our tones to realize that we have been granted so much grace and so much kindness. So, not only is grace this unmerited favor, this being treated better than we deserve, Ephesians 4, verse 29, takes it another step further. Here's what this says. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, not only do we receive grace, but we are also commanded to give grace. And specifically in Ephesians 4.29, we are commanded to give grace to those who hear. So what does that mean? It means this. It means that you are first to use words that fit with the grace that you've received. That your words, your tones, your phrases should be such that, that, that the flavoring of them acknowledges the kind of mercy and grace and kindness that has been given to you. That you're to treat people verbally as you've been treated eternally. Oh, if we could get this. Think, think of how much grace that we've been given. So the least that we can do is give people verbal grace. And friends, if you do this in our culture, if you do this in your workplace, if you do this with your kids at Target when they're disobeying, if you treat people with graciousness, and we'll talk about firmness in a moment, but with graciousness, there will be a remarkable difference about you. Words that fit with the grace that you have received. Secondly, and this is really important from Ephesians 4.29, we are to use words that motivate others towards God's God's grace. We are to use words that motivate them. So, corrupting talk is unhelpful talk. We are to use words that push people towards obedience. Use words that push people towards spiritual growth. Words that push people towards Christ-exalting life change. And so when I take these two things together and I, I put them together, it seems to me that we are to use words that constantly demonstrate God's mercy and His kindness. We're, we're to use words that, that are godly. They're, they're godlike in their graciousness to clearly indicate that we understand that we're wretched, awful sinners and that an incredibly merciful God has been kind to us. That we're to use words that indicate that we have experienced and received so much mercy. This is why you have to understand the gospel, having had received the gospel, and preach the gospel to yourself every single day. 
to remind your self-seeking, self-centered, I deserve this heart, that you are a wretched, awful sinner, that you deserved a Christless eternity, and you were saved by God's mercy and grace. So when you get out of bed in the morning, when you hit your feet on the ground, tell yourself this, I'm awful, I'm terrible, I'm sinful, and I'm nothing. Tell yourself that, and then come back to the gospel and say, but God loves me, he's gracious to me, he saved me, and by his grace I can do this day. I'm awful, I'm terrible, I'm sinful. You tell yourself that and then tell yourself the gospel. Don't don't give in to this self-help mechanism. I'm wonderful, I'm super, both you, God, and your spouse know. That's not true, right? So just tell yourself, I'm awful, but I have the gospel. But God, who is rich in mercy. And therefore, if you preach the gospel to your heart in this way, you will be filled with the sense of gratitude of what God has given to you, and your words then must fit with God's grace. This also means, friends, that we have to tailor our words towards those who hear us. I find it fascinating that Ephesians 4.29 says that we are to give grace to those who hear. So the standard isn't just to use gracious words, but it's to use gracious words to those who hear. That focus changes, because it's not just that I have to use gracious words, but that I need to think about how I talk such that they're received graciously. The standard is not just what I say. The standard is also how it's received. Therefore, I'm called to use words that motivate people to do God's will. So whether each individual child or each different person that you work with or for or different people in your immediate family, you use words that are different and unique depending on what the need is for the moment. So the words that you're supposed to use are are God-centered and they're other-focused. They are to be the kind of words that reflect that you know how much you've been forgiven about how gracious God has been to you. Gracious words speak from the foot of the cross. And therefore, we're called to use words that motivate people to do God's will. Finally, let me caution you. There's a difference between soft and kind words and sweet words and gracious words. Some of you are just naturally kind and soft people. But you're still awful wretched, still an awful wretched sinner, right? And the fact of the matter is, is you, you've learned how to use your kindness and your sweetness as a covering at times for self-serving desires or even manipulation. Sometimes people appear gracious, but it's only because they dislike conflict or because they live in the fear of man or because they don't want to be honest. There's a huge difference between being sweet and being gracious. Again, case in point, remember a couple, about a month ago or so, I told you about that character in Toy Story 3, Lots O Hugging Bear. That's a great example right there. Sweet, but not gracious. Sweet, kind of spooky. Sweet, kind of freak you out. So that, that's what I'm talking about. The person who has this, 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 this kind exterior, but behind the scenes is actually anything but gracious. So in light of that, let me ask you a few questions. Do you speak with a sense of your own depravity and God's graciousness to you? Are you aware that you're just an awful sinner and God has been incredibly kind to you? Do you consider not just what you say, but how it will be received by the person to whom you are speaking? Do you speak with the intent of trying to help someone move towards God's will and desire, or do you just speak so people can know what you think? 
Are you overly gracious because it's easier than dealing with an issue? Do you portray kindness because of what it wins you or because of what it gets you? Here's another question. When was the last time when you used gracious words such that they were really, really helpful to someone? When's the last time that someone was like, you know what, that was really helpful and thanks not for chewing me out. See, I'm just telling you that if you get this thing, this this gracious words right, you understand this, you'll be so radically different because our world is, is fundamentally broken, friends. Just just listen to the conversations that are going on around you. Just hear the tones of people. A couple um, months ago, um, Pastor Dale was telling us a story about a running experience he had along the Monon Trail, and it just was a perfect illustration of um, what it means to be gracious and to speak graciously, even even when you don't even know the same language of the person. So so Dale was running along the Monon Trail. It was at the very end of his run. And he came upon a woman and her daughter, and the woman was trying to teach her daughter how to ride a bike. The daughter was young, and, and it, the experience wasn't going well. And those of you who have ever tried to help a, a, a daughter learn how to ride a bike, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and Dale did not speak the, the language of this woman. She was from somewhere in East Asia, but he knew the tone. And he described it this way. They were going along, and the girl would tip over, and the mom kept going, Hey! Hey, 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 like that. And he's like, I don't know what she was saying, but I could tell by the tone, this was, these were not friendly words. And the girl was all slumped over and upset. And as Dale ran past her, he heard this lack of graciousness. So he came back and he, he tried to communicate to her and he was trying to say, you're not, this isn't going well here, right? And so can, can I help you? Can I help, you know, you look, your daughter along? And she was like, Sure. And, and so she, she said, you know, go ahead. And so the little girl, can you imagine this? This guy runs by her, right? He stops and she's sitting on her bike and he grabs her by the back of the neck, right? And, uh, starts running along with her and, uh, they go about, um, you know, probably a hundred yards or so and mom's in some flip flops and she's coming behind him. Can you see this scene? Flip, 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 right? <laughs> And Dale's starting to pick up some speed, and this girl's starting to get it. Meanwhile, Mom's thinking, strange man's got my daughter. One way, what's going to go on here, right? <laughs> and so he turned around, came back, and, and asked if they could go a little bit further, a little bit further, a little further. Ended up running like two more miles with this, uh, with this mom and this daughter. And the, the little girl learned how to ride the bike. But even more important than that, this mom met somebody who exemplified the graciousness of Jesus Christ. And it showed up on the Monon Trail, and it shows up in what you hear in a culture that's just broken and marred by constant conflict and horrible tones. And I'm just telling you, if you're a gracious kind of person, you will display the beauty of who Jesus is. And frankly, it will make the name of College Park Church in this community a a, a wonderful name, something that we could all be proud of in all the right ways. In fact, some of you, you're not very gracious. And, and honestly, in the middle of that lack of graciousness, please don't give the church's business card at that moment, right? <laughs> we, we don't, we don't, the church doesn't need any more bad reputations of grumpy, angry Christians. People who've been infected by God's grace ought to have graciousness in their words. And so this graciousness needs to be a part of the fabric of who we are because Jesus was full of grace and he was also full of truth. And that's what we turn secondly to truthful words. So the Greek word for truth is the word aletheia, and it means the substance of what lies beneath. It, it's what the it's the essence of something beyond the appearance. It is think of it this way as things as they really are. It's the truth. In light of that definition, things as they really are, think of the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. What's he saying there? I am 
the way that things really are. I am the full embodiment. Jesus is the truth. I am the full embodiment of God's glory. He defines what truth is. And as well, it's just important to note here that truth is given to us by God. Despite what our moral relativistic culture tells us, truth is not found in you. Truth is not as you define it. Truth is outside of yourself. Truth is external to you. It's external to your agreement to it as well. Truth is something that's been given by God, first in the Garden of Eden, then at Mount Sinai, and then through the Scriptures. So just because you believe it, or just, excuse me, just because you don't believe it, doesn't make it any less true. And what happens is that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. And what happens is that the Bible continually celebrates the value and the importance of truth as given to us by God. For instance, Psalm 25, 4, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Or Psalms 86, 10, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This God, my heart is bifurcated. It's, it's, it's broken. It's affected. It's divided. Unite it in order to fear your name. And then this also means if truth is this important to Jesus, if he is the truth, and if truth is outside of ourselves, the followers of Jesus are called to be the proclaimers of the truth. The good news is good news because it's true news. And therefore, the church is called to be the proclaimer of the truth. So salvation is essentially the word of truth. The church is the pillar and buttress of truth. Preaching is rightly dividing the truth. And followers of Jesus are called to speak the truth. Truth is a vital part of the Christian faith. Therefore, truth is the way that things really are. Truth is who Jesus is. Truth is what God's word is all about. Truth is why the church exists. And the disciples of Jesus are not just supposed to be gracious, they are also committed to speaking the truth. And here is why. Because if they don't, who will? If you have a group of people who possess the truth as given to them by God in His Word, and if they don't speak the truth, then the reality is, who will really speak? Our culture is broken. And the only real hope is that people will discover the truth about who they are, who God is, What's wrong with life, what the Bible says about how they should live, what eternity is all about, and how a person is made right with God, and all of that relates to the truth. Truth matters, and if it's never spoken, it will never be heard. So you're in this world to be gracious, but you're also in here, friends, to speak the truth. The problem is that we live in a world and in a culture that's broken and constantly affected by self-deception. Do you know what the problem is with self-deception? The problem with self-deception is that you never know when you're self-deceived. Why? Because you're self-deceived, that's why. That's the problem with self-deception. And what happens is that truth, when spoken from another person, awakens you to the reality of who you are. And so therefore, we need people in our life who are willing to be courageous and speak the truth. To be able to tell us what life is really like. That's why the Bible speaks so positively about honest and truthful words. That's one of the reasons why at College Park, as a part of our staff requirement, we have an evaluation process. And every other year we have a 360 degree evaluation, which means we send out like 20 to 30 surveys of various people at various levels in the organization saying, hey, how do you think this person is doing? Any blind spots? How are they doing really well? How can they grow? You know why we have that here? Because we want to have a gracious culture, but we also want to have a truthful culture. 
Because the reality is you don't always know how you're doing. You need your spouse, your kids, your friends, your co-workers to speak honestly and to have the freedom to speak truth into your life. And you need to be able to speak the truth in love to somebody else. Which means that you're willing to tell them the truth even if it proves costly to you. Speaking the truth in love is not just saying it in a nice way. That's part of it. But it means that you're willing to speak the truth and you do it in their best interest, not your own. And sometimes that means that person's not going to like that. So why Proverbs uh, 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Or Psalm 141, 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my friend not, let my head rather not refuse it. So in light of this, let me ask you, do you highly value and understand the importance of truth? Are you a truth lover? Do you see the value and the importance of what truth is all about? Do you see that truth needs to be proclaimed and declared? Do you value God's truth? Do you see how vital you could be in someone else's life? Do you know with one conversation you, you might be able to change the trajectory of a person's life? You could help them grow in ways that, they, that they'd never grow without your help. A great example of this would be, there was a sermon I preached, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or so. And after the sermon, the next day, one of our staff at my last church came in and sat down with me. And we were having a great conversation until he said this, Hey, can I make some comments about your sermon on Sunday? And that's always a really hard thing to say yes to. And um, he said, I said, yeah, go ahead, because I knew it was the right thing to do. But I didn't want to hear it. And he said, yeah, there's a great sermon, but it, it lacked any presence of the gospel in Jesus. And I was like, What? What are you talking about? And so I, in my mind, I'm thinking, who are you to say this to me? Do you know how hard I work on my sermons? How many sermons have you preached? Probably like four. I mean, I was like, you know, really kind of worked up, you know? And I'm sure you've never been like that with this kind of chip on your shoulder, right? And, and I was kind of a little torqued, but he said, no, I just, it was all about be better and be like this. And I was like, what? He's like, there's no gospel, no focus on Jesus. And I was like, okay. I was like, thanks. And inside I was like, be quiet, right? And I, he, he left and and I went home and I was thinking about this and thinking about this. It kind of bugged me. I thought about some more. Went back and looked at my sermon and I was like, you know what? He's right. And that made me even more angry, right? Because I was like, he's, he's right. And that started me off on a journey to think, you know what? Somehow in my preaching, it had begun to drift a little bit. And, 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 and it wasn't that there was anything incorrectly taught, but it was that the focus shifted a little bit off of Jesus and got more into some important other things, but not nearly as important as having Jesus in the middle. And that began an adjustment in my kind of thinking about how I began to look at the preaching event and, and trying to find Jesus and the gospel in the text. And I would tell you, without that conversation, friends, there would have never been a series called The Core here. And there probably wouldn't be a statement that we use all the time called igniting a passion to follow Jesus. So you benefited from that conversation some seven or eight years ago. And that's what all of us can be a part of in someone's life. Those are very important moments. So do you, do you love God's truth even at the cost of your own reputation? When you listen to the culture, are you saddened by um, the lostness of what's around you? Do you realize that you can endorse something by simply being silent? Do you speak the truth out of frustration or out of the fear of God? Here's another thing. You know, we, we need people to speak truth into our lives, and we ought to be thankful for friends or family members that do so. So if kids, those of you who are in this um, audience here on Worship 2, listen to me. Look, look, look me right in the eyes. And those parents, you brought your kids to worship, you're going to be really glad you did today because I'm going to say something you're going to be like, yes, finally someone said this. All right, so listen, kids, very carefully. Here's the newsflash. Your parents are right. 
Okay? And they love you. And, and the wonderful thing is you're in an environment where your parents love you enough, they brought you to church, they, they're gracious, but they're really, they're, they're right. And you have people who speak truth into your heart, and they also love you. And that is a gift that you have those kind of parents. Thank God that you have that kind of mom and dad who's speaking truth into your life. Now, for all you parents who are like, rats, my kids aren't in the service. Here's a good reason for you to bring your kids to worship service, because every once in a while, I throw you a bone as a parent to really help you, all right? <laughs> And as well, it's a part of them being part of the body of Christ. I've said this before, but if your kids are never in a worship service, they go off to college, and you're like, how did that happen? How did they walk away from the faith? Well, because they never were a part of the community of faith. They just thought that church was always this little subset of their little needs. They need to sing songs that they're not familiar with and hang out with people that are older than them and younger than them to realize that church is bigger than just a little slice because they need people speaking into their life like you need people speaking into your life from all walks of life. Because truth is that important, and we are that potentially self-deceived. Christianity and those who claim it must not only believe about the truth, but we must speak the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me. So then the final question is this. How do we balance this? Let me give you five things. First is this. You have to know Jesus. There's no way that you can know how to balance grace and truth unless you know who Jesus really is. You have to know him personally as your Savior to experience this grace, or you will never understand the beauty of who and what he is, and you'll never really value grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace, he's full of truth, and you have to know him. You have to study him, you have to look at him and listen to him and go, man, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. And this passion and longing is what comes out of you in balancing this grace and truth paradox. So you have to know Jesus. Here, secondly, you have to know yourself. Meaning that all of us tend, because of a variety of circumstances, towards grace or towards truth. In fact, let me show you this. How many of you would say that in your life you tend to be more on the gracious side? Let me see your hands. Raise your hands. Nice and high. Don't be ashamed. We know you got backbone. Come on, get them up there. Uh, Graces, okay? How many of you are more towards the truth then? Let me see your hands. Amen. Okay, there you go. All right? Here's the deal. We need both for the body of Christ to be balanced. So gracious people, you ought to be thankful that there's truth tellers in this church. And truth tellers, you ought to be thankful that there's gracious people as well. Because if you have all of one or all the other, you simply have a cult. A mean one. (laughs) Or a really nice one. But the fact is, it's a cult. And so we need the balance that goes along with that. Third here, we have to know others. Meaning that balancing grace and truth means that you have to talk to each person differently. Each child, each person, each um, person that you work with. Balancing grace and truth means that you, you learn what is fitting with each person, given their needs, that you're thinking about them and how to communicate. You study them, you know them. This is hard work. But this is the opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed and for Jesus to be seen and known. It also means you need to know your timing. So the Bible tells us that we're to speak words that minister grace to the hearers. Randy Elkhorn puts it this way, we have to build bridges of grace that can bear the weight of truth. Hear that. We have to build bridges of grace that can bear the weight of truth, meaning that truth is often hard and heavy to hear. 
And therefore, balancing grace and truth means that you're constantly making grace deposits into people's lives. You're building a bridge of grace because one day you're going to have to drive the truck of truth over top of that bridge. And if you've not built enough grace deposits, it will crumble. People will just, they'll have heard the truth, but they won't have listened to it because it's come out of a person's mouth who they don't think really loves them and cares for them. In fact, we've used this mantra a little bit in Brookside that we're going to build bridges of grace that can bear the weight of the truth, the gospel. We're not in there for good for good sake. We're in there for good for gospel's sake. Meaning, we're going to drive the truck of God's grace over that bridge. But in the meantime, we've got to demonstrate that we really care and really love folks and that we're interested in more than just a proclamation venue that we really are there to help minister true God-given grace. We're to speak the truth in love. And here's the final one. You've got to know about judgment. What do I mean by this? I mean that ultimately God is the one who knows what is absolutely true. He's the one that really knows what's going on in someone's heart. And he's the one who really knows what they need. Do they need grace or do they need truth? And so therefore this is freeing because at the end of the day you may blow it. And yet yet, yet he's the one that can fix it and take care of it. It also means that in those moments when you feel like you had to let go of truth for a moment because it wasn't the right time, that, that God can take care of that as well. It means, friends, that you are not the personalized version of the Holy Spirit for people. God has a great plan for their life, and you're a part of it. So balancing grace and truth is not easy. In fact, it's impossible, because ultimately it is what it means to be like Jesus. And yet God, by His Spirit and through His Word, helps us. This paradox is incredibly perplexing, but it's amazingly powerful. So the question is, do you need grace, or do you need truth? And the answer is obvious you need both you see grace and truth are really at the end of the day the fingerprints of jesus and when we show when we talk in this way when we talk with grace and truth we we show people jesus when we speak to them with grace and truth and the fact of the matter is that anything less than both is neither And therefore the call is to balance these. Because without one, the other collapse. Anything less than both is neither. God, thank you that you can help us. And that you, by your Spirit, can show us how to work this out in our lives, in our homes. I pray for men and women who are on either side of this equation, that they can learn to balance out by your word and through your spirit, and thank you that you have given us everything we need in Jesus. So help us, Lord. We need lots of help. And for any who would hear this today, who don't know you, who would look at this and go, this seems like an impossible thing, maybe that today, because of this paradox, they would see their need to turn from who they are, misplaced wants and desires, and instead run to you, Lord Jesus so that they might experience this beautiful, transforming grace that changes everything. So thank you for your word. Help us to balance these things out with your help. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, afterwards we'll have some folks up here ready to pray for you and with you if you need someone to talk to, all right? God bless you, Couch Park. I love you. Thanks for coming.